0: Hey guys, what is up? My name is Cliff. Welcome to episode number nine of Being Famous Podcast. Hope everyone around the world is doing great. If it's your first time checking out the podcast, good on you. I appreciate it. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you would like to learn more about me, this podcast, and to listen to previous episodes, please check out my webpage at beingfamouspodcast.com. Facebook and Instagram are at beingfamouspodcast please check out my social media pages and give me a follow as I'll keep you updated on all the latest podcast news and upcoming guests. If there's someone you would like to see featured on the podcast, hit me up, guys. It's that easy. Info at beingfamouspodcast.com. If you like what you hear, please leave me a comment and a rating. That's always appreciated as it helps with those wacky, weird, crazy algorithms. I would appreciate it, guys. Please leave a comment and a rating. Now, Let's get on with episode number nine. (sighs) Man, I am excited to chat with this guy. Y'all just don't know. Back in the early 90s, while I was in high school, I was bumping this guy in my 1991 Nissan Maxima with cassette deck. Yeah, I was that kid. Along with Sir Mix-a-Lot, he helped put Seattle and the Northwest on the map for rap and bass music. He was also part of Sir Mix-a-Lot's crew back in the late 80s and early 90s. He's sold over a million units, he's released six records with a new one on the way, he went through a birth name change, he's got a book in the works, a new single that's currently out, and a ton of other projects on the way which we will discuss. Oh yeah, he also looks like he's about 30 years old. Let's welcome to the podcast, calling in from Tacoma, Washington, X-O-L-A Malik, pronounced Cola, but most of us know him as rap and hip-hop legend, Kid Sensation. Cola welcome to the podcast thanks for coming on the show
1: Cliff my guy thank you man so much for having me on the being famous podcast man Let's get this thing started, brother.
0: Let's go, man. Let's roll. I like that energy. I like that intro. My homeboy kid sensation is the teenage lady killer. <laughs> Cola, do you still hear it from time to time, man? That is a classic line. Man,
1: I, I I get it every once in a while because uh, you know, that was uh that's that's the nostalgia, man. Posse on Broadway was kind of a, a big coming out party for me, man. And um once that kind of happened, it just kinda, you know, thrust a a 15-year-old kid onto the national uh, scene and onto, and into the spotlight a little. So yeah, man, that was, uh, that was it. So I, I get it every once in a while.
0: That's awesome. And wow, 15 years old, man, that is crazy. We'll talk about that in a bit. How did your relationship with Sir Mix-a-Lot come to be?
1: Well, I lived in the same neighborhood as Sir Mix-a-Lot, man. We grew up in um, in a little housing project called the Lakeshore Village right across the street from, uh, from Rainier Beach High School in Seattle. And so uh, we, we we grew up in the same area. And um, I met Sir Mix-a-Lot uh, living in that neighborhood. He, um, he went by Mix-a-Lot because he used to be a DJ. And he used to make mixtapes and not like the mixtape that you know, the definition we know now, but like literally cassette tapes that would be mixed with all kind of new songs. So he would go and buy all the vinyl you know, records, and then he would uh, mix them and scratch and do all that stuff and put you together a tape, you give him $10, you give him a cassette tape, and he'd hook you up with a bunch of new music. And then you wouldn't have to go out and buy, you know, five or 10 albums to have all these different songs. So that was kind of how we uh, met originally, man. And so then we hung out a little bit, man. And um, and then I he started DJing parties and things like that. And I would get to kind of hang behind him a little bit. And, you know, every once in a while, he'd let me up on the turntables or he'd let me beatbox or whatever, man. I was just trying to do any and everything, dance, beatbox, rap, DJ. It didn't matter, man. Just anything I could do to kind of be around the music and just to kind of hang out and do that. Well, he started to mix in a lot of his own little homemade songs that he would make from instrumentals and from things like that. I brought over a drum machine to him uh, at one point in time, a really, you know, archaic piece of equipment. And man, he, he he was throwing down little beats. We were just kind of messing around and making little fun songs around the uh, around the house. And he started to garner a little more attention because he was mixing in his um his uh own songs with a lot of the songs that were current and out or he would rap to those instrumentals you know and then um we started to meet different people like nastiness rodriguez who used to be the dj for uh k fox radio that was kind of a big break for us to get music on the radio and then um we met some local people who wanted to you know kind of start a, a record label a gentleman named ed Locke who um said hey man let's you, you ever thought about maybe putting your music on a record and, you know, so we he he said, hey, I don't know what, but we can just try and figure it out and see if we can do it. And so uh, so so mix a did that, man. And uh, I beatboxed on a song called uh, Square Dance Rap that he uh, came out with as one of his very first singles and put a record out and then, you know, started uh, getting some some buzz and some things started to happen. And it just I don't know, it just kind of started to kind of steamroll from there, man. Things just one thing led to another. And. Music began to uh began to kind of flow. So
0: great story. So how old were you
1: when you actually first met Sir Mixelot? Uh probably about thirteen. About thirteen years old. Wow, that's crazy. And how old was he? So he's he's got me by about seven or eight years. So you know, probably about twenty-one. <laughs> wow. It's
0: interesting. So he basically took you under his wing. Is that kind of how it worked?
1: You, you absolutely could say it that way, because really, I, I learned how to scratch watching him scratch. I learned how to beatbox. Well, I, I just knew how to beatbox because I was just always making kind of crazy noises anyway. So uh, but I mean, I learned all, all my everything I learned about music, how to program a drum machine, how to, you know, play a keyboard a little bit or how to, re- you know, even record in the studio. I learned everything that I learned in that in that you know, beginning phase by watching him do it and by observing what he did and by just picking up on the nuances of what he did. It just, you know, yeah, he was absolutely, you know, um, someone who I, I, you know, looked up to and looked to for guidance and tried to, uh, to mimic a lot of, you know, of what he was doing to get his talent put together.
0: That's wild, Cola. So all of this is basically going on with you while you're in middle school?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much middle school, man. Yeah. Yeah. Just a young kid.
0: That's a fantastic story, man. Very cool. Um, what did your parents think?
1: Well, yeah, you know, I, I was raised by my mom, uh, by, by my single mom, but, um, she had, yeah, man, she, um, you know, I think at first she was a little bit like, almost like apprehensive about, you know, me kind of, um, you know running behind somebody so much older and all that but then she found out that you know he didn't do any drugs he wasn't you know uh drinking he wasn't you know too 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 bad of an influence i guess you could say so she was just like you know all right since you're really liking this music thing and you like doing what you're doing with him i'll, I'll kind of she 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 allowed the rope to go a little bit further and further as we went
0: that's so fantastic so cola How would it work out? You would go to school, then after school, you would go hang out with Sir Mix a lot. Tell me how that all kind of played itself
1: out. Yeah, you know, at least a a few times a week, man. After school, I'd I'd always want to go and see what he was working on or what was new. Or did he go to the record store and pick up any new records? Was there any new music I was missing out on? Or what was the latest he was doing, you know? So yeah, I definitely stopped in on him regularly. And then every weekend, we were DJing parties. So like, literally, I was kind of like, you know, we would you know he he refers to it in a new song that's uh, on my new CD said you know, me and Kid Sensation loading speakers in my rig doing $30 gigs because that's really what was going on. Like I literally would sit outside the window and he'd hand me his equipment, you know, speakers and mixers and whatever outside of his window. We'd load up his the trunk of his car and we'd take off and we'd go and, uh, and we'd go DJ, DJ parties, you know, around uh, Seattle.
0: Oh, man, that is so fantastic, man. That is just like so, I don't know, so hip hop, so rap. Those are just that's a great story, man. So I guess like the parties you guys were DJing,
1: what were they basically, house parties? Pretty much like house parties. Uh, Rotary Boys Club was uh, one place that we we, we we started doing very, very regularly. But little small, like, you know, the Mountaineers Club and other little clubs, you know, places that were normally like little halls or whatever, man, we, you know, we'd, we'd rent those out or we would get permission to, to put on something there and the Rainer Vista Boys Club. We would just throw these these parties, man, and people would just pack them out. That's
0: so cool, man. So let me ask you this. What was it like hanging out with somebody who was that much older than you?
1: Well, you know, really, I I just kind of like, you know, I didn't have, I didn't grow up with a father and my brother was a year older than me, but, you know, um, we didn't really, like me and my brother didn't like like sometimes how some brothers stick together and hang all the time. My brother kind of had his group. I kind of had my group of friends. So I didn't really have much of a father figure slash, you know, I didn't have uncles and those kind of things. Cause um, you know, I, it just was more like, man, somebody that I kind of looked up to and could kind of, you know, model their behavior, I guess. And just, you know, hang out and, and and, and I don't know, aspire to be like, I guess, is, is how I looked at him at that point.
0: Gotcha. So you guys are DJ and parties uh I guess Mixalot's name is out there at least a little bit at what point in time do things really start to take off and uh pick up some traction
1: well um you know we had a couple of we had a couple of just you know bursts that 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 kind of rolled into it it wasn't one like smooth ascent man like i remember his first record you know um uh, bu- uh what is it called um square dance rap when it came out Man, um, it was getting buzz and doing really good. And you know, like I said, I beatboxed on that record, and you know, we we had actually gone out and done some shows and performances. It's so crazy, man. Just a little to back up a little bit, man. Um, I was 14 years old my first time going on the road with him, literally 14 years old. And we the first concert that I did was in like we we did a, 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 a several shows kind of around that Chitlin Circuit area down there in Mississippi. Biloxi Mississippi Birmingham Alabama we did all these shows down there man and with and get this with Egyptian lover and you know dudes like that and Big Daddy Kane and you know it was just crazy man some of the people that we did uh, shows with back then man but um yeah man it it was it was it was really cool just um you know experiencing all that and you know being around somebody that just kind of you know embodied like what I was trying to like kind of aspire to you know
0: yeah definitely um (laughs) chitlin circuit I've never heard that before and I've lived in the south in Baton Rouge and Mobile Alabama that's pretty funny um so I guess Cola
1: you missed school to go on this tour correct uh yeah it was actually you know you know it was during the summer so that ended up being okay anyway but yep, I didn't know anything about traveling, man. I threw a bunch of stuff in a in a in a suitcase. We were only gonna be gone for, I don't know, a week. And I packed like I was going on a world tour, man, and you know, and threw a bunch of stuff in a giant suitcase and, and drug it into the airport, man, and you know, didn't know anything of what I was doing, man. And you know, he had to show me kind of the ropes of what to do and how to do it. And, you know, it was it was cool, man. It was very cool.
0: Yeah, that's really cool, man. Um, I can't get over it. For a fourteen year old what an experience that must have been. And like you mentioned earlier, Cola, I mean, you're down there touring, man, and you're hanging with legends, man. I mean, Egyptian lover, Big Daddy Kane.
1: I mean, what was that like? Guys that I used to watch on MTV, yo MTV raps, and I'm like, yo, that's like him right there, you know, and I mean, and uh yeah, it was pretty wild. Yeah, no doubt. Did you have a tour bus? Man, we actually did. Like, literally, I I got the royal treatment. So, man, I was really kind of, like, spoiled on my first kind of go-around, man, because we got down there, man. We had a big tour bus, and, um, you know, we went from city to city. I think it was, I don't know, five dates or six dates, whatever, but we went from, from city to city, and we was on our tour bus and everybody was hanging out and, you know, we're, we're playing cards or, you know, video games or whatever. Cause like we literally brought like Nintendos and got to hook them up to the TVs and the tour bus. I mean, like, so I'm living the life. I'm like, man, this is amazing, you know? And you know, plus making a little small coin, man. I mean, I, I was excited.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, that's just, that's amazing. That's so cool. Um, what you just said was going to lead me to my next question, Cola. So um, at this time, I'm assuming you don't have, an attorney you don't have any agent so how are you getting paid and who's negotiating this money and who's looking out for you at this point in time
1: well man let me tell you this way man so um lot was looking out for me whenever i you know toured with him and he would you know pay all of the guys on the road and uh, you know, and he, he took care of us and 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 looked out for us as far as like just the shows and all that. So I started to learn a little bit of that, the ropes of that from that. But it was so funny, the first time I remember getting taken advantage of was okay, so you remember the group Club Nouveau, right? Of course. And rumors and all that. Yeah. So they they asked me to come out on stage and to and to beatbox for them, man. And I was like, yo, man, I'm down, and you know. And um, they were like, you know, well, yeah, we could, you know, we could give you like 20 bucks and you can just come out there. And Mix was like, man, hey, wait a minute, hold on, you know? And, and so he talked to me a little bit, pulled me to the side. Then he went to kind of talk to them and ended up negotiating me more like a hundred bucks. So it was like, man, okay, this is my first. So I won't say I got taken advantage of it. I'll say, man, this is my first time seeing like, hey, man, there's a business side to this, you know, right? And and uh, I had almost just walked out there. Was I was like, I don't care. I, I was just happy to be around the music. Happy to be around a big time group and on stage with them that I that I was excited to be around, but I had no clue of how the business part works. So that was my first lesson in like, yo, man, this is actually the music business, you know. So uh, it was pretty cool, man. And, uh, you know, for, to have him step in and kind of uh, make something like that happen for me.
0: Nice, man. Makes a lot negotiating deals for you. So as you guys are moving forward, Kola, you hear about it all the time. I always use like TLC and New Edition as the example. As you guys are moving forward, a lot of groups get into bad deals, a lot of artists get into bad deals. Explain that to me and how that
1: process worked for you. Man, okay. And then, uh, wow, let me break that part down to you. So it's really, really fortunate. Like I said, a lot of what. I, the, of, of what we were, what we were doing and figuring out as we were going along as artists, I happened to get into some business with, you know, some very, very fair and, you know, <laughs> considerate people, man, because like the dude Ed Locke. That started Nasty Mix Records and, you know, all the guys that worked under and, and with him and stuff, man, there were some there were some pretty honorable dudes, man, that were just trying to make some great music and make sure everybody was kind of looked out for. Because when I originally signed my first record deal as Kid Sensation and it was a single deal to come out with the song Back to Boom, which is my very first single, I, I signed the contract. I was underage, first of all. And when it said that you're going to get, you know, this percentage and 10% of this and that and the other, I didn't even know 10% of what. I had no idea what to expect. I literally walked in the office, signed the contract. I did notice that I was getting, I don't know, I think it was a $7,500 advance. When I saw that, I was excited. It didn't, they could have told me I was getting 1%, 5% or 50. It wouldn't have mattered because I was like, wow, I'm going to get like, paid $7,500 or whatever the advance was. In fact, it might've been 10,000. I I was going to get paid for putting out music and I already love doing this. And I was, I would do it for free. So I was like, man, tell me where to sign up. And so fortunately, man, I signed up with some, with some really honorable folks at nasty mix, man. And then, and in the beginning, man, when things were rolling, man, um, we were, we were very, very well taken care of.
0: That's cool, man. And that's good to know because you don't hear about that too often. And how would, you know, Cola, I mean, you're only, you know, you're a teenager at that point in time and you walk into, uh, you know, a label and they're going to present you with five, seven, $10,000, whatever it may be. Yeah. As a kid, that's a lot of money moving forward. Sir mix a lot signs with nasty mix. How did that all go down and how did that
1: come to be? Well, um, that was all kind of a process and that's like Nasty Mix Records wasn't like, oh, okay, this is an established label and here we're going to sign Sir Mix-A-Lot to a deal. It, that just kind of happened, you know, organically as we kind of moved along. Like Mix was, was, you know, he was working with Ed Locke and while the label was developing, they're, they're trying to release music. So he just was kind of like already kind of ingrained and entrenched. It was just a matter of sorting out the dollars and cents about how things were going to be split up because everything, even Ed Locke, you know, running a record label, it was all new. And the crazy thing was that publishing is what broke the record label up and what broke us all up and caused Mix a lot to leave was because we didn't, we didn't know about publishing. And once that got discovered, all of a sudden it was like a big old huge fight because it was a lot of money. And so, um, yeah, man, you know, we didn't, we didn't have attorneys at that time. We were just kind of sorting it out and figured out as we went.
0: Man, that's pretty crazy. You guys were definitely green. Uh, 1988 rolls around, Cola. Yeah. Swass comes out. You were featured on a couple of those tracks off of that album. What songs were you featured on off of the Swass album?
1: Uh, Posse and, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Square Dance and, um, and Rippin'. Ripping,
0: definitely my favorite track off of that album. Cola, when you go back and listen to Swass today, what do you think about yourself? <laughs>
1: I'm like, wow, man, I, I sounded young. I sounded like I, you know, I, it just is it's so reflective of who I was. The raps that I wrote for that track is so reflective, man, of who I was. It was like, I was just a kid. Like I'm just talking about rolling in my Nissan truck and and kicking it with my beats and the girls is looking and all that. That was just who I was, man. I was just a happy-go-lucky kid that was just excited about life. I was finally like getting some like, Attention, you know, and I don't know, man. It just was so reflective of that time in my life. It was, it was cool, man.
0: That's awesome, man. Good times. Um, I actually listened to swaz a couple of days ago, hadn't listened to it in a few years. Cola, I mean, square dance rap, buttermilk biscuits. I mean, Sir Mix a lot is rapping about biscuits, (laughs) cotton picker. I mean,
1: (laughs) I mean, what do you think, man? Man, when you, when you, when you listen back, it's so cringy, man, but I have to be honest, uh, man, we thought you couldn't tell us nothing back in, uh, back in the eighties and nineties, but man, when you, as we listen now, it's like, man, you know, it's, yeah, it's certainly a little cringeworthy, but, um, you know, listen, man, I, hip hop is for us has been this developing thing. And, and, and one thing that I've always thought about Anthony, you know, Sir Mix a lot, I call uh, obviously I'm referring to him as Anthony and people know that's his name, but, um, Man, he was just ahead of his time and he was always doing something to to be out of the box and to do something crazy. So gimmicks and fun stuff like that was always what he was about. So that Square Dance Rap voice, he had done that gobs and gobs of times before he actually came out with Square Dance Rap on other songs that he uh, that he recorded. But it all came from like groups like Nucleus that had songs like Jam on it back in the 80s. It came from others, you know, because people put like little Smurf raps and things like that out. And so it wasn't like the first time it had ever been done, but he just wanted to do something really crazy and combine like like who would think of like a square dance rap or rapping about buttermilk biscuits and things like that. That's just the way his mind works, man. That dude is just kind of creative and he loves trying things that nobody else is doing.
0: So did the rap community
1: embrace that album or did they kind of look at it as like, I don't know, maybe a joke? You know, uh, to be honest, I think a lot of the hardcore community, man, just laughed it off as a gimmick. I mean, you know, you had songs that were gimmick songs that came out all the time. But then once, you know, um, he became you know, once he started to drop stuff like Posse on Broadway and those kind of songs that were a little bit more. You know, to the, to the, to the traditional flow of hip hop, people saw, oh man, this dude ain't just a gimmick. He actually can make some, 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 some dope music. And, uh, you know, man, long before Lil Nas X, right? And, and Nelly and, and Tim McGraw partnered up. I mean, man, Mix did the square dance rap decades before that stuff, man. And so, you know, I, like I said, I think he was just way ahead of his time. And yeah, the music sounds eighties and whatever, but that's the, the period we lived in, man. I just think it was about being cutting edge.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And I like it. I mean, it's, uh, it's different, but, um, it's fun, upbeat, you know, feel good type music. So how did that process work? Cola, was that all done like in post-production where he would just speed his voice up?
1: Yeah, he would. Um, well, he had a, 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 a he had a four track recorder that had pitch control. So all he would do is just turn the pitch control slow and then he would rap in his normal voice. And of course, it slows the beat down. It slows everything down. And then you record your normal voice. Then when you pitch it back up to regular speed, it sounds you sound like a Smurf because the voice is going faster, you know, so it literally is that simple. It was not like a vocal effect or anything. There was no auto tune back then or there was no, you know, uh, Pro Tools or high end you know effects. He just did it by literally rapping in a in a in a little tiny bit higher voice, but slowing the beat way down with his pitch control. Then he would speed it back up and then his voice sounded like, you know, <laughs> like a Smurf.
0: That's pretty cool. Obviously, the big song off of Swaz was Posse on Broadway. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. Absolutely. Uh, Right from the start, Cola, you were mentioned, right? Me and Kid Sensation, that home away from home. Uh, So you get that mentioned right at the beginning of the song. What did you think about that at that
1: time? Man, it was just, you know, that it was just really like a testament to how much me and that dude really, really hung out. Like I literally saw him every single day and we literally like I would go. He worked at man. He's so funny. He worked at a video arcade. I used to ride with him and work at his video arcade. And since he had since he worked at the arcade, he could, you know, put all the games up that I wanted so I could play video games all day. We hung out and he worked there and you know, that was his job. And so, um, man, we just hung out so much. I think that that opening line for him to say, you know, we're, we're, we're kicking it at home away from home. It was just like I was his, I was his dude, man. And so I think that's why he opened up the song the way he did. He mentioned all the fellas in the group or whatever. But at that time, man, we were just really, really, really close, man. I mean, we went everywhere and did everything together, man. And, and it was just it was just really cool.
0: That's awesome, man. You guys were boys. Cola, how old were you when Posse on Broadway came out?
1: Uh, 15, I think, when Posse probably first came out. 15, 16, right in there.
0: Man, it's crazy. You were so young. It's wild. Um, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, Cola, uh, when I opened the show. Uh, let's talk about that line that plays out in the video. Of course, I'm talking about uh, my homeboy kid sensation is a teenage lady killer, (laughs) man. It's so great. You get out of the limo, man, take off your jacket and you got the girls all over you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 That was it, man. And so because I did that, um, you know, on the limo now to stay in character every time on tour, I had, when we were on stage and he says that line, here I go, I got to pull off my jacket or pull off my shirt. And, you know, so the girls can scream or whatever, you know, and, uh, and I also you know I, I i it's so funny, man I just uh posted about this yesterday you know somebody had posted something about Sir Mix a lot, and I said, um they were talking about me dropping a twenty and not even missing it. you know that line and talking on Broadway and I said, man I, that was another one I stayed in character with uh on uh, on stage two every time man I would drop a throw a twenty dollar bill into the crowd, and I told him. I said, man, I need to be going to his house and, uh, and, and and get my, uh, reimbursement. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Over a few tours, man. I done dropped quite a few twenties. So
0: (laughs) that's great, man. That is awesome. Kid sensation dropped a 20 and didn't even miss it. Skeezer from another crew. She picked it up and kissed it. So fantastic, man. Cola, looking back at that time, man, um, what was it like? I mean, just try to explain to me what that time in your life was like.
1: Man, honestly, it, it just was it was just was fun, good times in our lives, man. We just, you know, we were just a bunch of kids. You know, I, I I it's uh Sir Mixlot's birthday today, man. I don't know if you know that, but um it was so cool. I kinda posted a tribute to him and uh, you know, and uh said some really cool things. But you know, um I just think that it was just so indicative of the time that we lived in and how we grew up. We were just some fun, you know, fun-loving, happy-go-lucky kids that, you know, Grew up in the ghetto and made it to the Grammys. You know, it's like, man, how, you know, it was a bunch of snotty nose kids from the Rainier Beach area in South Seattle. You know, on standing on stage at the Grammys, I'm like, who thunk it? You know, it's just, it's crazy, man. It, it's really kind of been a a a dream and a and a joyride, man. And you know, everything wasn't perfect of our lives or whatever, but I have to say, man, that I wouldn't have traded, you know, these experiences that we went through for nothing, man. It was just a really crazy time in our lives that just felt like a dream.
0: That's cool, man. Had to be one heck of an experience. Uh, before we get off of uh, Posse on Broadway, Cola, where was that video shot? I'm assuming all around the Seattle area?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. All on broad, most of it on Broadway in Seattle. We shot at a bunch of different uh, locations in South Seattle in the, and uh, the Broadway area. And then what's funny here, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Most people don't know this. Dick's drive-in wouldn't let us shoot there. So we shot it at another place, I think it was called Burger Time, that was on Rainier Avenue, that is kind of, is the, the flow is similar to Dick's. It's like a drive up and, you know, get your burgers and all that kind of thing in the parking lot. And, you know, it kind of has that whole same feel and drive in kind of look. But it wasn't actually Dick's Burgers that we shot the uh, video at because they wouldn't let us shoot. Interesting and good to know. <laughs>
0: Dix is the place where the cool hang out. Why wouldn't they let the uh, video be shot there?
1: You know, I think probably, you know, rap at that point in time didn't have as, as much of the kind of mainstream, you know, kind of like, And they probably thought, oh, man, we're going to let them shoot a rap song here? Are you kidding me? The the whole, uh, there might might be gangs. And, you know, so they they probably had no idea, man. So, but it's anybody's guess. But, um, yeah, they wouldn't wouldn't let us shoot there, man. Is Dix still there? Oh, yeah, man. Dix is actually still there in that same location, the original one. And they have probably, I don't know, half a dozen of them now. They've expanded to several different areas. And now it's not just one restaurant. It's several. So cool.
0: How long did it take to shoot the video?
1: Uh, Basically about a day and a half. I mean, one day was a really long day, probably like a, I don't know, 12, 14-hour shoot. And then one day we got some pickup shots that were probably, you know, just a few hours, and then that was it. Gotcha. And SWOTS went platinum, right? Platinum. Absolutely. Did you guys tour the world? Well, we could have, but Mix wasn't a big guy of taking flights overseas, man. I'm going to be honest. So, <laughs> And uh so we definitely toured the nation, man, many times over. But uh no, we didn't we didn't do any world tours. The farthest he went um was early when square dance rap was real hot. He took a flight to London and uh performed in London. I didn't go on that one. Um my mom just wouldn't let me cross the cross the pond. So that was just a little bit beyond and I think that was also during school and all that too. So um so I missed out on that one. But um After he flew back, I think he had, uh, I think it was on one of our concerts or whatever, you know, kind of towards the end of that whole Swass era where um, I think he had a pretty turbulent flight one time. And this is when I was doing my solo thing and had just branched out. And he had, and he was out doing a show as well. And he had a really, really bad experience, I believe, on a plane. And since then, believe it or not, mister Mixelot will not fly. He hasn't flown since. Really, man? That's wild. He hasn't flown in years. And. I don't know if he ever will again. I don't so I don't know if he's ever going anywhere <laughs> further than the continental United States or Canada or whatever. Yeah, he's never been to Africa. He's never been to Asia. He's never been to any of those places. And I'm not sure unless he's gonna plan on taking a boat that he's going. <laughs>
0: can't uh can't actually say that I blame him. Um moving right along, uh, Cola, nineteen 19- Uh, 89 rolls around, Sir Mix-A-Lot releases Seminar. Did you have anything to do with that album?
1: Uh, I wasn't on that album in terms of, uh, you know, um, I didn't rap any verses or anything like that. I think I did some backup vocals for one or two songs, but I didn't do anything on that album, no.
0: So you release Rolling With Number 1 in 1990. Is that kind of sort of your departure, I guess, if you will, from making records with
1: Sir Mix-A-Lot? That is correct. Yeah. Once, once rolling with number one, I was working on that and I had kind of gone solo. Um, that was more or less the end of me working on, uh, working on Mix-A-Lot records. I I hadn't, I haven't been on a Mix-A-Lot record since, uh, since Swaz.
0: Gotcha. When was the last time you talked to him?
1: You know what? This morning. <laughs> we just texted this morning because of course, Texted him happy birthday. But yeah, we, 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 you know, we, we check each other out from time to time. And then every once in a while, man, I just be like, look, and I pick up the phone and just hit him up or he'll call me, you know, because, you know, we both understand, man, that, that you know, we, we're at a point man in life where it's like, look, man, you never know you, the, what, what day is going to be your last. So always make sure your friends know where you are and that, that, and show the show and share the love and make sure people are, you know, good and check in. And so yeah, we, we, we definitely stay in regular touch. And he's on my new album, as a matter of fact.
0: Nicely said, and we're going to talk about that new album in just a bit. Um, one last question uh, in regards to the uh, early Swaz days. Got to ask you, man, where is – here we go. Where is Attitude Adjuster, Maharaji, Larry, the white guy, PLB, and Kevin at today?
1: Okay. Kevin, I'm not sure about. I haven't heard for a long time about anything about Kevin. Um, PLB is living down in Vegas. He is uh, a businessman down there doing very, very well for himself and his family and my wife and I went down and visited with with PLB and checked him out, man. He's still, you know, making contacts and doing other things. He promotes shows and stuff down there and promotes all kind of other things. Really cool dude. So still doing his thing, living his life. Um, Attitude Adjuster, who happens to be PLB's brother. A lot of people don't know that, but they are brothers. And uh, Attitude Adjuster is still up here. He's... um He's been recording some music. He also has been doing a lot of uh, speaking engagements, man. He speaks. He's a youth uh, advocate and doing all kind of cool stuff with his team attitude thing. So he's still attitude adjuster. But, uh, you know, speaking a lot of positivity into the youth and doing all that. He is also on the uh, new upcoming CD. Uh, Maharaji, same thing. Um, he's still recording music and he's still very much entrenched in the music business, record label, owns a studio, has all kind of things going on with artists. And, you know, so he's just, uh, kind of still entrenched in the business and on the business side doing things. But I got him to dust his microphone off and come through and, uh, and record on this song. So we kind of had a, a reunion on my, uh, on my new album.
0: Very, very cool, man. Dude, what about, uh,
2: Larry? the white guy.
1: Oh, and Larry, the white guy. Yeah. He is still a real estate investor and he's still making <laughs> lots of money, man. <laughs> so great. Larry's not, uh, he's not, uh, in the, uh, management or music business, you know, at, at this point in time, but I just saw Larry not too long ago and yeah, he's, um, still doing real estate and, you know, owns property and, you know, handling his business, man. He's got a beautiful family. So, you know, just, just chilling, man, doing life.
0: <laughs> That's great, man. I love it. Um,
1: Cola, what role did Larry actually play within the group? Well, Larry and Larry, uh, Saren and Ricardo Frazier were, they made up black and white management, funny name. And, uh, they were the managers. They were my managers and Sir Mix-a-Lot's managers. And then Ricardo began to manage Mix-a-Lot. Larry began to manage me. And, uh, but they were, they were just, they were managers.
0: Oh, okay. Gotcha. Very interesting. Obviously I never knew that. Now I do. I like it. Um, Let's move on to your career, Cola. Uh, 1990, you release Back to Boom. Uh, tell me about that song and how that came to be.
1: Man, it's so funny. Okay, so um I they put out this Nasty Mix sampler that was supposed to be getting, you know, some feedback. Um, Beepers was on there from Sir Mix Lot's album. Um, Back to Boom was on there, um, and, it was, and it was crazy. It wasn't even the completed version of Back to Boom. Somehow the label just got my studio recording and took an unmastered, barely mixed, you know, version of Back to Boom and threw it on this on this thing. And um, High Performance was on there, and you know, uh, Criminal Nation, all all the nasty mix artists that were assigned to them was on there at, the, at that point in time. So. We we're, And I remember getting on a plane, I was going somewhere with, for a show, and I don't know if I was with Mix-A-Lot or, you know, I can't remember what the show was, but I remember getting on the plane and getting a cassette of it, and I said, oh, okay, I'm going to listen to this when I get on the plane. So I And I listened to it, and I was like, man, they took this. This, you know, amateur hour version of Back to Boom. So I was a little bit self-conscious. I was like, oh, no, you know. And uh, so this thing had gone out and it had gone out to all these, you know, tastemakers in the industry and all these people and whatever the case is. So I'm like, oh, Lord, man, my song is going to get shot down before it comes out. But what I didn't realize is that I think most of the people heard through the roughness of the song and cuz hear the way that i was spitting on that song and I, and the way i was spitting so fast and really nobody was rapping like that when you had a fast beat people would rap slow you know how egyptian lover or whoever would rap Dump, da, da, da 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 if you had a fast beat but nobody was da 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 like i was doing it back to boom and so People heard it. And all of a sudden, man, people just went crazy over this song. And I'm like, what? And they were like, and that's what I think encouraged them. Because like right after I got back off of that trip, they were getting feedback from the song. And that's literally when they signed me, they were like, we got to get this single out now. We got to give you some, you know, get you out here because people are going crazy over this thing. It was getting radio play with that rough, unmastered version. And I was like, what? people like this. And so, yeah, it was, it was a really crazy story, but yeah, man, back to boom. And then it ended up being still to this day, my biggest selling single of all time. It's the only single that I've had that is, uh, you know, done more than 500,000 and done gold.
0: Nice. Uh,
1: still get residuals off of that? It's, I, man, I still get residuals. That's a funny story too because there was a whole lull and a whole thing went on that when Nasty Mix went down and everything you know, went crazy and it took me a while to get all my masters back and get everything back, but now everything's back in order.
0: Yeah, man. I'm sure that's probably an hour conversation in itself. Uh, who produced Back to Boom?
1: Uh, Sir so mix and I both produced it. Yeah. He, he kind of made the beat and then I began to add more to it. You know, we kind of, co-co-produced it so.
0: Very cool man, you guys did a uh, excellent job. cola whose idea was it to turn the beat off and bring it back slow?
1: That was uh, that was me, man. I, you know, I was like, "Man, um I said, you know how, you know, the 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 fast hip hop like that was more thought of like as club and dance and all that kind of stuff, but I was like, "Man, I got to do something kind of slow and gangster, man." I said, uh, you know, I said, "But how am I going to kind of do this? If I, you know, like I couldn't debate on, like I wanted to make a slow kind of hard song because I didn't want to be like written off as a dance rapper or just somebody who just made little fun songs. I was like, man, I want to put something hard in this, you know, put something hard out. I said, man, what if I just slowed the beat down and just did it at the same time in the same song? And so that's where that idea was birthed from, man, of me being so indecisive. <laughs>
0: that's pretty good, man. Uh, your indecisiveness worked out in your favor. Very nice. Uh, Cola, Back to Boom, fantastic track, man. Probably my favorite song off of Rolling With Number 1. Thank you, man. Thank you. Absolutely. Cola, I'm surprised there's not a video for Back to Boom. Is there a reason why?
1: Yeah, I sort of got talked out of doing a video for Back to Boom. <laughs> really? Yeah. I think that was a huge mistake, but... Uh... Yeah. Um, I did not shoot the video for back to boom. I, I, you know, as I look back, I think obviously that would have been a, the right, the right move. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I, the first video I ever shot was, uh, was Sea town Ballers.
0: Who talked you out of shooting the video?
1: Well, <laughs> truthfully, Sir Mix-A-Lot did. <laughs> Crazy. What was his reasoning behind that? I it just, in his opinion, and you know, he, he just didn't think it was the right move to shoot a video for that song. And maybe he just liked Seatown town Ballers better or, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure what his uh, thought process was, but I did, he just felt like it wasn't the right move at the time.
0: All right. Very interesting. Um, so Cola, 1990 rolling with number one comes out. Then in 1992, you released The Power of Rhyme. So between 1990 and 1992,
1: what are you doing? well um promoting still you know rolling with number one still working that album man I, that album had a long life i mean it, it had several singles off of it uh back to boom was first then i think Sea town ballers then prisoner of ignorance then skin to skin all of those songs had videos and you know how it kind of was back in the day man you'd work a song for several months you know and so oh, yeah it kind of stretched out man and then um I was like, "Okay, you guys, man. Oh, in fact, we had a video of the song 2 minutes on the album too." I was like, "Look, you guys, man, we don't we did not work this milk this thing this cow for all this worth. Let's 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 move on to something new."
0: Yeah, man, I hear you. Um you mentioned "Prisoner of Ignorance." That's an interesting song and an interesting video. I guess that was you Cola trying to, I don't know, man, maybe show a little bit of a harder side to yourself. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting song, man. I mean, I, you know, I always kind of like wanted to number one man there was some part of me that wanted to make sure that people knew that i had a hawk some hard part of me or you know that that i wasn't soft and that i was you know from the south end and whatever because the real natural me just wanted to make fun music but there was always this part of me that wanted to prove some sort of bravado man i don't know what it was but the prisoner of ignorance thing man you know in the jail cell and i'm talking about being this gangster who but i did want to tell like a story of that many of the people that grew up around me the, uh, you know, that they went through, man, of, you know, going through their life, they sold drugs because they felt like they had no other route or alternatives and they didn't have, you know, a good home life and they didn't have this and didn't have that. So they, you know, so right. I kind of wanted to tell that, that, that fictitious story, but it was so many of my friends reality.
0: Looking back at rolling with number one today, What do you think,
1: man? I, I, again, it just takes me back to that time in my life, man, of, you know, me trying to find myself and find identity, but yet, you know, as an artist and as a person, I was growing up during that time, you know, I'm 16, 17, 18, 19, you know, so it's like, just, man, it was all about, you know, trying to have some self-discovery, but at the same time, really, you know, drop some, some, some dope music.
0: Yeah. Very cool, man. And, uh, That's a great album. I really like, obviously, which we talked about back to boom, also flowing off of rolling with number one is a great track as well. So Cola, you got the whole swast thing going on in 1988, uh, rolling with number one in 1990. Um, how much does life change for you at this point in time in Seattle, right? Because now you're a full fledged celebrity. Is there a lot of recognition going on with you on the streets? How did that all play out?
1: Oh, oh no, man. It, it changed very drastically after posse on Broadway and the whole me and kid sensation thing. And then the video was on MTV raps and all that. It was over. So no, I, as far as not being recognized now, I could go places. People didn't like mob me or anything else like that, but I've been, you know, I used to get followed, you know, cause I, I, I made the mistake of putting my license plates boldly on my second album, man. And I didn't really think about it. I just took a picture in front of my bins like so many people did. Oh, man, take a picture in front of your car. That's a great album cover. Except for we didn't blur out the license plate. So I used to get followed a few times and, you know, and I got recognized, especially if I go to like the mall or stuff like that. But it was it was always real chill, man. And people in Seattle always showed love. It was, you know, it wasn't like, you know, people were, you know, in my face and, you know, whatever. It was just, it was it was super chill.
0: That's good stuff, man. I like the, uh, <laughs> I like the story about the license plates. Uh, Cola, in 1992, you released the power of rhyme. Uh, one of the more popular songs off of that album is "The Way I Swing." Yeah, 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 man. Uh, you hook up with Ken Griffey Jr. on that song. That's pretty cool, man. Well, you know, every every
1: rapper wants to be an athlete, and every athlete wants to be a rapper. So
0: <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> right. It's funny the way that works. Um, For maybe some of the people out there who don't know who Griffey Jr. is, Ken Griffey Jr., some of the youngsters out there, uh, basically a Seattle icon, a Seattle legend. He played for the Mariners from 89 to 99. Cola, how did you meet Ken Griffey Jr.?
1: We met at a car stereo shop. We were both getting our car stereos installed, and we both had this fetish of getting these real elaborate car stereos with our names stitched in leather in the trunk and all kind of moving amps and parts and... 15,000 subwoofers we we always went and went really overboard with our car stereos and so um yeah we we met in a car stereo shop and we were just sitting up you know kind of chopping it up and talking and what's was so funny is he was told by the people that were there who i was but i didn't know who he was i didn't know anything about baseball so you know even when they told me that he was a baseball player and he was ken griffey jr I, it didn't all connect and um but then i uh you know uh, after we had met and then we exchanged numbers and yo man yeah, you know we just kind of were talking we kind of hit it off so then we met up and we talked and we you know ate dinner we ate at denny's one time just hanging out man and and um so then we started calling each other and just kind of hanging out and then it was during the season and i was watching SportsCenter center and i'm like man, this dude is big time, man. I mean, he's, you know, this is the kid. This is Junior. I mean, they were just all over him talking about him and then talking about his dad and talking about this. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. This is, this is not just some guy who, you know, plays a little baseball. This, this dude is serious. business.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Junior was the real deal. Um, did you write the lyrics or did he write the lyrics?
1: No, I wrote his raps for him. How do you think he did? Hey man, listen. For somebody who was in the booth for their first time, man, he held his own. I was uh, I was really proud of him, man. And at least he was on beat, and you know. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, I wrote his raps, so it uh, it it uh, and then I, and I kind of taught it to him, and you know, did all that, so it, it helped him through the process. But I'll tell you like this, he is a far better rapper than I am a baseball player.
0: <laughs> I hear you, man. It is not an easy sport, and yeah, I think he did a great job. Uh, Cola, you're hanging out with Ken Griffey Jr. Your are kid sensation. You're a celebrity. He's a celebrity. I just have to imagine, man, it's got to be box seats at the Mariners games. It's got to be special treatment because of who you are. Uh, talk to me about that.
1: Oh, my gosh, man. It used to be so funny. So we kind of had a whole little group of friends that we all kind of hung out with in a, bit, in a bit of a click. And so, like... Um, you know, yeah, we went to a we went to piles and piles and piles of Mariners games, of course, especially back in the Kingdom days. And it got to the point sometimes where, like, um, you know, Ken would would say, "All right, man, you guys, uh, you guys, tickets are at right. Will Call, man. Are you guys coming down tonight?" You know, and um, you know, sometimes you know how it is, man. Baseball is kind of long, man. <laughs> and those days would get long, man. It's a no, Ken, man. I got I got studio, I got business to take care of, man. You know, and he so. You know, um, I would I would park in player parking, man, and you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd pull right up there in my bins, and they got to know it, and they would just be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, he's one of the players," because it wasn't because I was kid sensation they were letting me in. It was just because I would be pulling in behind him, and they said, "Oh, that's Griff. Oh, there's another bins. Let him in." <laughs>
0: That's fantastic, man. Uh, do you still keep in touch with him?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, man. We, he just will call me out of the blue all the time, man. And we'll sit up and talk. We just talked maybe a week ago and, or maybe about two weeks ago. And, um, we stay we stay on the phone for an hour, man, just laughing about stuff and, reminiscing but then we just you know I I, and I I always whenever we're on the phone man I pick his brain for business advice I pick his brain for you know all sorts of different things man and he's been you know married five times longer than I have so I can always you know hit him up with you know just any sort of just advice and questions and you know so he's just always man been a a a a cool brother in my life man and and a and a dear friend
0: Very cool, man. That's awesome that you guys have kept in touch through the years. Is he still up in the Northwest? No, he's down in Florida, man. He lives
1: in Florida. Okay, cool. What part? He is in um, Orlando. Orlando. Took a second. He's in Orlando.
0: Good stuff, man. Let's talk about uh, The Power of Rhyme a little bit more, Cola. Obviously, we just talked about The Way I Swing featuring King Griffey Jr. Uh, Some more notable tracks on that album are Comp Stompin', Emerald City, and one of my favorites which is Ride the Rhythm. Uh did that album
1: make any noise? Oh yeah, yeah, Ride the uh, that that uh Ride the Rhythm was a big single for me. Um The Weeknd did pretty well. Um and uh yeah, Comstoppin was definitely a favorite of mine as far as you know on the album and um yeah, that that album was uh, did pretty well under the circumstances because when Power of Rhyme came out, Sir Mix-a-Lot was have was at war with nasty mix records and they were parting ways and so there was a huge mess going on while the label was trying to re- release and promote this uh album it was it, it got very very messy and so um thank goodness the first album had done so well it it got to ride quite a bit on some of that uh success but yeah there it, it, it was a struggle man because Um, the, uh, the label was going through a lot of turmoil at the time, but yeah, man, we still, you know, did a couple hundred thousand units out of the gate. Not bad at all. Did you tour to support the power of rhyme? You know, um... Tour would be a a real stretch. I I did some spot dates and I got hopped on some dates with some other people and, you know, and and did that kind of thing. But again, I wasn't getting the tour support from the label. So that kind of made it a little bit difficult. The record wasn't getting really promoted like it should. So not as much touring on that one, just more or less a few spot dates here and there. And really a lot of, you know, playing the places following up where I was uh, hot at before.
0: What about like radio station promotions where you were hitting up radio stations were you doing any of that?
1: Yeah, some. I was we were doing some, but again, same thing, the label just wasn't I mean, you know, think about it, man. We had a a, a song with the hottest baseball player in the world and we didn't take advantage of it shoot a video, do all those kind of things like what's what what's really going on, right? I mean, so the label was struggling, man. I, and and they, their eyes definitely weren't on the prize when we were uh when we were working that record, so they just it it really had to had to kind of stand on its own merits and and sell because of what i had sold before and just you know if people thought the record was a good record
0: yeah it's really a great point um to your point like you said i mean you got the hottest baseball player in the world and uh yeah man you got him at your disposal probably pretty much and you don't take advantage of it yeah that's a uh, <laughs> that's a that's a pretty big mistake so Cola, are you now at odds because of this with Nasty Mix and their lack of, you know, promotion and their lack of support?
2: Oh, for
1: sure. Yeah, for sure. That was tough, man. You know, um, to kind of, you know, be working so hard on all of this music and working so hard to, you know, to do my end, to hold up my end of the deal and then feeling like, you know, the label was kind of letting me down and not really doing their end of the deal was hard.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So, Cola, 1992 is the power of rhyme. Um, in 1995, you release Sea Town Funk. You're at odds with Nasty Mix. So, what takes place between 1992 and 1995?
1: Wow, that was an adventure in itself, man. Um, so, um, so Nasty Mix Records got uh, bought out by a company called Ichiban Records down in Atlanta, and um, Nasty Mix was, you know, in all sorts of trouble. But they, you know, that that kind of helped to reignite some of the stuff, but then, um, I left nasty mix for, for a while. And I went to, um, Sir Mix-a-Lot's label, which was Rhyme Cartel records. And I was signed to him for a couple of years and submitting like dozens and dozens and dozens of songs. And for whatever reason, man, we couldn't seem to get a, a, a release out, man. And so, um, I ended up leaving his record label in 95, and then going back to Ichiban, signing a deal, and uh, releasing C-Town Funk.
0: Yeah, interesting. Even that situation right there, man, we could probably talk about for at least an hour. I'm sure there's all kinds of backstories to that. Cola, at any point in time during this, did you ever work like a regular 9-to-5 type job?
1: No, no. Music was, was, was my job, man, and I was very, very fortunate, man, to be able to do what I love for a living. And, um, yeah, but it was, it was, I definitely had some hard times, some ups and downs during that time, but, you know, my publishing was valuable. Um, I was getting most of my royalties during uh, most of that time. And then once they, you know, the, the label, you know, went down on me, you know, into the mid six figures, but then they once Ichiban kind of got bought out they wouldn't take responsibility for all of it but they did take responsibility for some of it so you know it was it was just a lot of ups and downs and kind of everything you know but um yeah I, i i had the great fortune of being able to uh carve my way as a musician and didn't have to necessarily work a day job
0: nice good for you man right
1: yeah for sure for sure
0: yeah man, let's talk about it. Sea Town Funk, the song off of Sea Town Funk. One of my favorite songs off of that album. Uh it's great, man. I love it. It's got that mid 1990s, early 90s uh sound to it. Tell me about the song, Cola.
1: Thank you, man. Thank you. Um Man, it just was a, a again. I, I say that about every song, but it's really true. It was kind of a reflection of the of where I was at at that time and the the, the sound and the music and G funk and all that. I just I don't know, man. I loved the floaters when I was growing up because I loved all that classic R and B, and I, I always kind of wanted to sample that song, man. And so. um uh we were able to get the clearance and uh I sampled that and, and, and got this this really smooth vibe, man, almost this Warren G-ish kind of, you know, cool vibe with that. And and I was like, man, yeah, that that, that I, I was digging the sound and so it just I don't know, it felt like a natural fit to me and it's man, it's still to this day one of the the biggest songs, you know, for me that it's radio play and all that kind of stuff. And it uh the single went gold in Germany.
0: Yeah, it actually reminds me of um Diddy. By
1: Paperboy. Oh, yeah. Diddy by Paperboy. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. That was, you know, that kind of uh, flow, man, that kind of thing. It was just, I love that West Coast smooth vibe. You know, that, that was just, that was my stuff, man. I loved it.
0: Yeah, it's definitely got a great vibe to it. Cola, you said it went gold in Germany. Because of that, do
1: you now tour Germany? I have not. Um, I never did go to Germany and I never did get the chance, the opportunity to do that.
0: Yeah. That's a bit unfortunate. Um, I'm guessing Cola, like most of your videos, uh, Seatown Funk was shot in and around the
1: Seattle area. Yeah. Seatown Funk was all shot around Seattle. And then, uh, I also shot the, the, the ones where you see like we're in a house. That was my house actually, man. And <laughs> my house was overrun with hundreds of people, man. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, that was a dope, dope video, man. A lot of fun. That's cool. Um, do you remember what the budget was? Uh, I want to say the budget was maybe fifty on that one. And it was crazy, is you know, they um, they had man. I mean, this was the biggest production that I had ever kind of seen for a music video being shot. There was a semi in front of my house. It looked like it was a full feature movie being shot, man. And uh, you know, but I mean, they had makeup and you know, design, and everybody was you know whatever. I mean, people. You know, lint rolling my curtains and stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, let's go and get the grooving. But it was a big budget. uh, It was a big budget video at the time.
0: That's cool. A full-fledged production. How long did it take to shoot the video?
1: Uh, A day and a half. Same thing. You know, man, one long shot that day at at my house. Um, And then also um, uh, another day of pickup shots shooting around the city and whatnot.
0: Very cool. Moving right along. Uh, Cola, in 1996, you released AKA Mr. K-Syn. Sin. is an album I have uh, no knowledge about, don't know anything about it. Um, tell me about it.
1: Um, you know, that was a, another release that when I, I was back signed to Ichiban Records and because they had kind of been, they had kind of been burned by Nasty Mix Records, they had been burned by, you know, um, that whole situation and, they were like we're just trying to basically get <laughs> get get our money back out of you and they were like we're not going to really do anything to promote we're not going to put a lot of money behind it we'll you know do a little radio or whatever and so the singles and the songs that came off of that really again they had to walk on their own because um they had lost so much money um when they were absorbing nasty mix i think there were some issues with the books and whatnot and so um and, and nasty mix maybe kind of proceed you know gave told their situation in in a little bit different than what the real reality was and so um yeah it ended up being a situation where they weren't going to put any real promotion dollars into it so you know the sales you know were kind of struggled a little bit on it and um but it was a it was a pretty decent album man. it had some it had some some bangers on it but um they weren't willing to shoot a video there just wasn't really a lot going into it
0: yeah it's crazy man and i know i've said it before but uh just the whole record label Stuff is probably, I mean, that's probably like a eight hour conversation in itself, man. The drama, the money issues, the publishing, all of that. Uh, Cola 2000, you release from the cradle. Um, So you release an album in 1996, then you release an album in 2000. That's a four year gap. What are you doing within those four
1: years? Man, it's so funny. At that point in time, then I started saying, well, OK, you know, now that I'm not, you know, signed to a label and, you know, right now I'm not really releasing anything. You know, I was getting a, doing a whole lot of other stuff that was still keeping me kind of in the game a little bit in terms of during that time. And I, cr- I created more partnerships with different businesses and you know uh companies I was creating jingles and music and scoring for stuff, and you know um creating background music for people. I was doing man I was doing any and everything I could to just kind of keep my hands busy. I had a recording studio, so I was also producing some other acts and but I used my studio to create a lot of content for people and you know so ton of content creation writing, doing stuff to you know kind of serve the needs of other people needing needing music and things like that.
0: Cool man, you're staying busy, you're working, I like it. Uh, two of my favorite songs off of *From the Cradle*: "Roll Slow and Bump" and "Hot Summer Days." Two fantastic tracks. *Cola* in 2009, you released *Back Home*. Uh, tell me how that came to be, and did that album make any noise?
1: Um, you know, that was really more like a a, a, a independent release. You know, kind of a self released thing. So, um, with me, you know, not knowing as much about how to 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 work the record and do all that kind of stuff, I'd say it was, you know, lukewarm in terms of like how hot I was able to make the record. But man, the feedback and the, and, and all that kind of stuff, especially when I did the back home for Griffey, you know, people were really excited about that. That song made his, uh, his documentary that just recently came out. And of course, the way I swing did too, because he's in the song. But, um, yeah, man, I, you know, I just kind of rode on that little, uh, that little thing and so so regionally i think it 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 definitely made more noise but on a national scale really really like hitting it hard nah man i i i wasn't you know in the in the in the state of mind where i really had that that business acumen man to 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 build it and carry it further hear you man
0: and that's a bit unfortunate because there are some um fantastic songs on that album you mentioned back home um i really like inferno cry no more caramel drop and drop the top. Those are some fantastic tracks. So Cola, uh, you mentioned it being an independent release. So does that pretty much mean that you're doing the
1: entire thing on your own? Correct. Wow. Did all of that. And then I sent it. The only thing I sent it out for is mastering. And then, um, when I release it, you know, it's like literally, okay, CD Baby and you know, um, Amazon distribution. And you know, you, you just kind of find little distribution channels to get it out there where people can order product and uh, you get it in as many stores as you kind of can by like hitting them up and saying, hey, you know, listen, this is who I am and this is what's going on. So it was just a little bit of hustling.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some hustle behind that. What was that, uh, what was that experience like and um, how much of a learning curve were you dealing with?
1: Well, it was great, man. It was actually a great experience, and and yeah, the learning curve is definitely high because you know there's so many things that you can make very very costly mistakes on. But um, if you're willing to you know to work hard and grind at it, man, it's it's definitely you know possible. But it just um but there's so many ways, you know, even at in, at in 2009, 2010, there were so many ways to make things happen. You didn't have to just rely on putting out a record, people going to the store, buy the record or people downloading it off of, you know, whatever means. There are just so many other ways, you know, with like co-branding with other, you know, you know, aligning with companies, aligning with businesses with, you know, similar, you know, um, with similar um, branding and just, you know, finding other ways around it. So, um, yeah, the game was changing at that time and uh, the learning curve was high, man. But, you know, I enjoyed the process. I felt like I learned a lot during it.
0: That's cool, man. Yeah, I guess the uh, only way to really learn something is to uh, do it yourself. So there you go. Um, Cole, circling back around to some of your videos, I wanted to ask you, um, were you getting any love from MTV back in the day?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. MTV has uh, has always played uh, all of my videos. I wasn't getting like the, the, the real heavy rotation per se. Um, but it was really nice, man, to get a couple of plays from MTV, a couple of plays from BET because that caused all the regional and local video channels to blow it up. So man, we've always, it's, it's been so strange, man. Like, um, Mix-a-lots, um and and myself, we both have had like a lot of our biggest success, you know, before Baby got back, because obviously that was just a international smash. But before that, when you know, with Posse on Broadway, or you know, his 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 beepers and songs like that, or Back to Boom and some of my stuff. We were always like the the kings of the secondary market, if I'm making sense. You know, we didn't. You know, we didn't always. It wasn't Chicago. It was always the suburbs of you know Chicago, or if it was, it wasn't Atlanta. It was Kennesaw. It was always these little secondary markets, man, that just loved us and embraced us. But man, they were just as populated, and you know, and and just as powerful of allies to have. And we could go and do shows and all these places. So that's why we'd always end up in these. Instead of, you know, Montgomery, we, we were in Birmingham, Alabama, you know, so we would always be in the, the secondary markets. And so those have always been huge for me. So instead of Seattle, man, I would, I, I hit tri cities, you know, in, in, in Washington so that, um, you know, I, I, it was always about hitting those secondary markets, man. They were very receptive and very supportive.
0: It's really cool, man. And, you know, really interesting uh, the way that that works. Have you ever lived anywhere else outside of Seattle?
1: No, Seattle's always been my home. And then, you know, I'm, I'm just about, you know, 30 minutes south of Seattle and Tacoma now.
0: Gotcha. What's a typical day like for you in Tacoma? Man, <laughs>
1: this kind of stuff. Um, you know, um, I, I still have a recording studio, so I, you know, I do a lot of stuff out there. And now I'm all about the the co-branding and, and content creation and all those kind of things. Um but I'm also uh, writing, I've wrote, written a couple of books, um, I'm doing some speaking and doing some other stuff, you know, so like, I man, I do a whole lot of different things. And like I say, you know, some acting too. So it's just been like a whole, you know, mix, a bowl of mix, you know, a bowl of gumbo, man, all kinds of different flavors in there, man. But, I'm but doing all things that kind of work toward that common goal of uh, creating uh, content and uh, add value to people. So wait a minute, man, you've done a little bit of acting? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, man. Where were you in? Um, I don't know if you heard of the movie Safety Not Guaranteed. It's with uh, Aubrey Plaza and Jake Johnson and those guys. I have not. And uh, Kristen Bell's in it as well. Cool, man. Anything
0: else that uh, people would recognize you from?
1: Um, a few commercials. Did a, uh, dis- did a Discover commercial last year for Discover that that um, ended up being a really big national campaign campaign. Um, I could even send you the link to it. The uh it was just a blip in the commercial that I was in, but man, it was pretty cool. that uh the uh the YouTube video that they did, they promoted it so hard. It was viewed like, I don't know, 47 million times.
0: Wow, man, nice. Yeah. Uh I want to see it. Shoot me the link.
1: For sure. I'll send you the link.
0: Sweet. Who was Kid Sensation's musical influences growing up?
1: Man, growing up, um LL Cool J, um Run-DMC, you know, as far as hip hop, that kind of stuff. Um, Big Daddy Kane, for sure. Um, Rakim. Um, But then, like, I also loved, like, Motown music and all that stuff. I grew up on a lot of that uh, stuff. And then I liked a lot of uh, rock and roll. Um, I listened to a lot of, you know, I grew up on a lot of, like, Steppenwolf and Eagles and Phil Collins and man, you name it, man. I was, I just, I have a very, very diverse musical palette. Like, you know, when I used to have a, a disc changer, you know how you have the 10 disc shuttle changer that would change, you know, all your CDs, man. And um, if you look in that thing, man, people would just laugh, you know, cause you could go from NWA to Madonna to Red Hot Chili Peppers and to a Motown classic CD. You're like, man, <laughs> does, is this one person's CDs? Or does this belong to a whole bunch of people? Cause My my music palette has always been very diverse.
0: That's awesome, man. That's so funny, man. Yeah, the the 10-disc. I I think they came in like five, eight, or 10 CD-disc shuttle changers. That's classic, man. Um, Cola, in the early 90s, I was living in Tampa, Florida. Uh, That area was known for that Miami bass sound. A couple of guys out of Florida- MCADE and DJ magic Mike do you know those two guys
1: Bass mechanic baby <laughs> you know I know MC ADE. <laughs> yeah man and magic Mike feel the bass. oh man those were my guys man so for sure
0: heck yeah man uh do you know them personally
1: uh, I know magic Mike but I don't know MC ADE. and let me not let me not misrepresent it I don't know magic Mike well like I don't have his telephone number or we don't like talk or anything else like that but I know him
0: Cool. Of course, you can't talk about Florida and uh, not really mention, I guess, maybe the originators of that Miami-based sound, uh, 2 Live Crew. Uh, do you know those guys?
1: Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know those guys, too, man. And uh, <laughs> 2 Live Crew, man, I, I love their sound. We've um, done shows with them on many, many occasions. Cool. And uh, one time we performed in, uh, in Luke's Club, man, down there in Miami. And uh, one of our group members got into some little dust up with, uh, <laughs> with one of Luke's crew members and it started some a little brouhaha, man. And uh, thankfully, every cooler heads prevailed, man, because Luke had about six or seven dudes just step on into the room that had their hands in their coats and says they're a problem. And we were like, absolutely not.
0: Oh, damn, man. Uncle Luke means business. <laughs>
1: That ended all the problems there. Everything was real cool. Listen, man. For sure. How about we just talk this out? We should be brothers. Stick together.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's great, man. That's so awesome. I can only imagine that scene. Uh, Cola, I guess it must have been probably the late 80s sometime, maybe. I was living in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, Two live crew was performing at the UTC Arena in Chattanooga. And uh, I went, I saw him. I forget who was with them. But uh, yeah, man, they were on stage probably for about 10 minutes, and I know you know what happened, man.
1: Police came and shut it down.
0: Yep, that's exactly right. Shut them down, man. They didn't last long at all. Um, Cola, who else have you performed with that you can share some crazy stories of?
1: Oh, uh, with them, and then you know want to you know what's really crazy if you saw the recent movie Straight Out of Compton of NWA story? Um we were there on we were on that bill when that whole when they got arrested for doing the police song in uh in Detroit we were there we were on that show we were on that uh straight out of Compton tour for several legs of it That's
0: wild what was that like
1: Very very crazy man um it was us uh NWA JJ fad the DOC all those artists you know that were from ruthless and then we were on the you know on the show with them as well and uh, yeah man um, pretty crazy times man those, those guys um, were, were not the kind of guys that they kind of uh, portrayed themselves to be in their music but then they tried really hard to live out that persona and uh, it was uh, it, it brought out some really interesting things <laughs> during those days.
0: Oh man, I could only imagine um, the stories that you could probably tell. Uh, did you know Easy E? Uh,
1: oh yeah, I knew Easy uh, really well, man, and um, and he and Mix a lot were real close. And yeah, we knew Eazy, uh, we knew all those guys: Easy, Dre, Ren, Yella, Ice Cube, all those guys. And me and Ice Cube at one time we definitely had each other's phone numbers, and we hung and all that kind of stuff. And when Ice Cube came to Seattle, I introduced him and Griffy and all that. I mean, we yeah.
0: Yeah. That's absolutely fantastic. Cola, how often were you guys in California?
1: It seemed like every week, man, we were going to California because that was one of our hottest areas. Yeah, like literally weekends from school, almost every weekend we were flying to a different part of California. We have performed probably in every big and little city in <laughs> in California, man, northern and southern, man. It's That was one of our hottest states ever. Gotcha. Cola, who
0: would you say, um, I guess, especially back then? Who would you
1: say your core audience was? White and Hispanic definitely had a huge Hispanic following.
0: Interesting. And why would you say? I guess especially amongst the white crowd, um, why there was such a strong following uh, from white teenage kids?
1: Well, you know, because we didn't. I didn't come out with real ghetto hard, you know, hardcore hip hop records, and that wasn't my sound. It wasn't my flow. Um, to be honest with you, if it wasn't for the, the white kids that were buying my records, I probably wouldn't have sold half of what I've sold, man. I, I know my audience and, um, they were a huge, huge part of it. And that's who were my fans. And that's who the people who, you know, always tried to connect or whatever, man. It was, and, and I loved it, man. I had a diverse uh, fan base.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty fascinating, man. Cola, did you have any sort of endorsement deal back in the day with either Alpine or mercedes-benz
1: no but that's a good thought we should have man somebody should have been working on that as many of them dang (laughs) cars that we would buy man and as many stereos as we done done with alpine man that should have been something we did
0: yeah pretty surprising especially to your point for as much as you guys uh were rapping about alpine and mercedes-benz cola tell me uh the importance of the 808 to you antis or mix a lot back in the day
1: oh my gosh it was literally everything man i mean that that you know um i don't know if you kind of know the story behind the 808 bass drum but um the 808 was a rolling drum machine a tr808 and um that that 808 bass was discovered by accident because you have to detune and like Turn the decay really up high on this on the bass drum. A, you know how bass drums usually are nice and tight, doop 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 doop. But then you you turn the decay up, and and and, and on the uh, 808 bass drum, it would you it would be detuned. It would make that boom sound, and you know people just thought, oh man, that just sounds awful. Of course, is what originally. But then once you kind of combine that with rap and hip hop, and then you start putting these big speakers, and you know. Man, people were like, yeah, that is that is amazing. And so the 808 bass drum was discovered and and using it in that fashion was discovered by accident. But, man, it ended up being, you know, obviously a huge uh, trend in hip hop. And, and it's something, man, that our music wouldn't have been the same without, man, because the boom, the bass. I mean, like, what would Magic Mike's career have been, man, without the 808 bass drum? You know, I mean, it's like, yo, that, that thing just meant so much to so many of us. Yeah, man, no doubt. Do you have an 808? I don't have an 808 anymore. I did have an 808, man, and I can't believe that I don't have it anymore. I don't even know what happened to it, to be honest with you. And Mix-A-Lot, I think he still has his, but it's missing knobs and all kind of stuff. But it's like, hey, I'm still keeping it, man, and I wish I still had mine.
0: Oh, man, for sure. Oh, that would be so killer to have.
1: Um, Cola, do you know who the first artist was to use an 808? Man, that's a great question. I mean, there's a lot of people that have used the 808 in songs and I'm trying to think of who used it first with that big bass. That man, that's a great question, man. There's some very early ones though, man. Um
0: Yeah, I don't know. It'd be easy enough to find out, I'm sure. Um maybe maybe Kraftwerk? Was it around uh when Kraftwerk came out? Do you know?
1: It was around, but it was it was still used in the tight fashion you know, it, it, people weren't using it with that decay. Cause I remember even like Kraftworks earlier songs like tour de France and all that stuff they were, they used, it sounded like they might've even used an eight Oh eight or a nine Oh nine on some of those songs, but um, they didn't use it. The decay, like the boom, you know, fashion. Right.
0: Um, speaking of craft Cola, let's go back to uh, ripping off of Swaz. Um, you guys sampled numbers and tour de France in that song by Kraftwerk. Uh, did you guys get permission for that or
1: did you just take it? Do you know? Yeah, there were no sampling laws, uh, you know, pre about, I'd say about 88. And I think I even got away with C-Town ballers. I guess I shouldn't be mentioning that on this uh, blog, but, uh, but yeah, man, pre-sampling. Yeah, we were, we were getting away with that stuff like bandits. And then they came up with all the sampling laws and that kind of meant that you had to start getting permission, but they weren't, a lot of times they weren't able to go back and, you know. Um, and get people for the older stuff, you know? And so, because there was no, you hadn't yet necessarily broken a law, so it'd be difficult to kinda, but yeah, then, then they said, okay, they, they said, we gotta liken this stuff to theft because people are just taking people's music and it wasn't even a matter of like, you know, Joe, just a sample, it, it was sampling had it, Man, we were people that were literally just rapping over instrumentals. It's like, okay, man, we gotta figure this out because uh, yeah, it, it got crazy. Yeah, for sure.
0: Funny story about Sea town Ballers uh cola in the late 80s early 90s uh freestyle music was kind of breaking through uh that would have been around the time that you were at the height of your career um what was your take on freestyle
1: music back then you're talking about as in like freestyle rap
0: no i mean like um let's see like um cover girls stevie b uh, Dino that genre of music.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, man. I've done, I've done so many, we've done so many shows with those guys, you know? Yeah, man. Cover girls. I mean, I love the production on that stuff, the high energy and Northern California, man, they ran that place. Like, I mean, nobody's business, man. And, uh, the, the Hispanics and stuff like there, man, they love Stevie B and the cover girls All I mean, those guys could pack shows out there, man, and just, and crush it because, uh, and it was a great kind of techno fun sound.
0: Yeah, man, I agree. I've always been a fan of freestyle music, to your point. Yeah, uh, fun, upbeat, just feel-good type music. Actually had Stevie B on um, as a guest not too long ago. Cola, uh, you answer mix a lot. Back in the day, man, I tell you what, you guys put the Northwest on the map. You put Seattle on the map. You guys always seem to be mentioning Seattle. Um, I'm guessing that was done intentional. And if so, what was the motivation behind that?
1: Absolutely. Because we didn't have a city like New York or LA to claim, man. So we had to really, like, we just made it and it put it in our minds that we we're going to go Seattle, 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 seatown, town 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 So that we literally would make it a staple because, um, man, people used to ask us when well, we, we'd be on tour somewhere or whatever, they'd be, we'd be like, yeah, man, we're from Seattle. Do you guys wear shoes there? Do you guys ride horses there? Ha, ha, ha. Everybody had jokes about Seattle, you know, and- it was, it was kind of like a, a, a forgotten about city. They didn't even consider us West Coast, you know. It was just kind of like Seattle's just up there and then the West Coast is L.A. and, you know, California and all that kind of thing. And so we just really wanted to try to put it on the map, man, and get people to, to to, to uh, you know, give it some value. But then, of course, once Microsoft showed up and some other things, people started to give it a little bit more respect. But, yeah, man, it was, it was tough in the later
0: 80s. Yeah, it's funny, man, because, you know, when you think of Rap music back then or hip hop back then, I guess you think of New York, yes. you think of LA, uh, you maybe even think about South Florida, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you just you know, you don't really think about it Seattle. It didn't have that ring,
1: man, it didn't have a ring,
0: yeah, exactly. It just you know, man, it didn't have that ring, um. Cola, being a music guy, I know it's out of your genre, but obviously uh a big part of Seattle was the grunge scene. And being a music guy, did you have anything to do with that at all?
1: No, not so much, man. I you know, I, I appreciated it and I love Pearl Jam, man. And of course, who doesn't love Nirvana? But um, you know, no, I, I you know, I just it just was something I just got to experience and 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 live through, and I, you know, and I met quite a few of the people and just, you know, yeah. Cool. Through your
0: years of touring, uh, do you have a favorite city in the United States?
1: Oh yeah, without question, Atlanta.
0: Really? Atlanta, huh?
1: Love Atlanta.
0: I'm actually not too far from Atlanta. What do you love so much about it?
1: Man, uh you know, it was just like the 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 culture, the food, the spots, the the like Atlanta was like and it's also kind of like this nonstop like party city, man. Atlanta was just, it just was always jumping off, man. It was just a great place. My um, record label is based out of Kennesaw, uh, Georgia. And uh, so I got to, you know, go down there, Atlanta, work my records a lot down there and do all that kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, man, I, I, I love that city, man. I, I really do. When's the last time you went to Atlanta?
2: Let me think. It has
1: been, it's been at least about three or four, maybe five years
0: since I've been to Atlanta. It's been a minute, man. Yeah, man. Need to come back down to the ATL. Um Cola, are you still out there, man? Are you still touring?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, I, I still perform, you know, during all these last several years, man, I, we, st- I still perform a ton live, man. Um, you know, my son has been uh, getting into music and we perform together. I mean, it's, it's man, I, I still am quite active, you know, uh, performing and touring.
0: Is that more of a West coast thing or are you actually traveling across the country?
1: Mainly regionally, man. Mostly, you know, West Coast, Washington, you know, in that area, you know, so I haven't been haven't been like on any big tours or anything like that in, in many, many years. So gotcha. Could you, Cola,
0: um, say, come to Charlotte, go to Atlanta, uh, go to L.A., whatever city it may be, um, and not perform at a big venue, but perform at a smaller venue and uh, and attract a crowd? Do you think that's possible?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's very possible, man. And, you know, the, the key, I think, is, is uh, you know, certainly with the new music, um, creating the awareness in, in, in a lot of these areas and creating that, you know, that re- reinvigorating that, that that brand a little because, you know, it's been a couple decades, man. It's not like, you know, we're talking three years, you know, since I've dropped, man, in terms of, you know, what the mainstream people know of me, you know, it's been some time. And so um, I've got to reinvigorate that brand. And then, you know, um, so that the people that are in our age bracket go, oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and maybe they'll buy a ticket and come out and, and check it out and, and partnering with other, you know, coming in and catching that old school bill that maybe might be falling through town and jumping in and, you know, and, and, and being on, on on that or, you know, getting on a leg of a, you know, kind of an artist that's maybe in the middle and and, and you know, maybe doing some live stuff with them. So, you know, there's a few ways to, to get it done. Or like you said, even playing a smaller venue, promoting it really well, making sure that, you know, the music is hot in the area and then just doing it. So a lot of different ways, but I, I believe it can happen for sure.
0: Yeah, because I mean, in today's day and age, um you pretty much have to get out there and uh, either tour or perform live, correct? Fact. Because there are no record sales. There are no CD sales. um Fact. Everything can pretty much be streamed online. So to really generate some money, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you pretty much have to perform live, correct?
1: Well, yeah, the massive artists and even some of the bigger artists or, you know, mid-sized artists can do, can do fairly well on streaming. And I do, I do quite a bit of streaming, but, um, yeah, man, you got, you got, there's, there's a couple of things that you got to focus on. And one of them would be, you know, for sure, you know, getting out there and performing live, because a lot of times when you, when you, um, perform live, man, it's, it's only a, only ticket sales and your, your, um and your pay is only a portion of it, man. You know, we get revenue from selling our merch. We get revenue for, you know, even like a lot of people will even buy CDs, physical CDs when they see you live in concert. So, uh, because they know you'll sign all that stuff and, and do all that. And so, um so yeah, so getting out and performing live and all that is a huge part of the equation, but then also, man, it, it, you know, for me, and that's what's been my bread and butter a lot is partnerships, you know, um, on my new single field of myself, I did a partnership with Kroger because they did something for their graduates, uh, their 2020 graduates. So I created a partnership there. And so that's where, you know, we um, we 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 have to focus on as well as putting a lot into creating partnerships with um, similar, you know, companies with similar branding and uh, working on their uh, platform as well as them, you know, kind of one hand washing the other.
0: Yeah. Cool, man. That's, uh, that's pretty cool that you've expanded yourself into, uh, into partnerships. Uh, just to mention something that you said, Cola, uh, when you mentioned merchandise. Yeah, man, I've talked to, uh, several bands through the years and they've told me that they will actually make more off of the merch table and off of the meet and greets than they do the
1: actual show. I've performed free in order to just say just give me a merch table. yeah okay, cool, you know, I've done it before and uh, and you do well on your merch, man. if you put on a good show and you've got quality merch and you know, I've been in it long enough to put on a decent show at least, and I'm gonna definitely drag along some merch and so I've done I've done okay.
0: yeah, cool man. and uh, we've been talking about touring and performing live uh, Cola, is that something you are working towards now? I know you said you're doing a lot of stuff regionally. Um, but are you looking to expand that potentially across the country?
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, you know, and, and I'm kind of at that, at that phase of where, man, I'm going to, you know, work to create the demand and then tour wherever that, that, uh, that demand is and perform there, you know? Um, and, uh, We, we, uh, we just, um, my manager has just um, got our first sponsor, we're putting together this, um, this thing called hoops and loops. And that is it's going to have to do with loops being as far as computer programming and then hoops as far as basketball. And so we're um, taking those and kind of combining them so that we can get um, young kids interested in coding, interested in computers and all those kind of other things. And so um, we're going to use um, basketball players to kind of lure them in and to get them, into you know, to do that. And then, of course, I would the, bring the music component and we have a DJ. And so we put on these cool events. And so, um Jamal Crawford, who's an NBA player, is going to be our first uh, guy. We're going to do it in Renton. He has a, a court that he built out there. And so we're, we're putting this whole thing all uh, together. And um, it's about, you know, empowering young people to, uh, to, to to start really getting into the tech, you know, areas. And uh, we lure them in with the basketball and the music. But the point being is that we want to take this around to several different cities. So this is kind of the pilot of it. We're going to see how this all kind of pans out. So... I'll tour in that way if that's how it has to be done. Whatever it takes to get myself out there on the road in front of people. Um, we have, an, have another lady who's a, a publicist for me who's working on a, um, a deal with, because now we did the Kroger thing. So now we're working on another deal with Whole Foods and, um, you know, the whole feeling myself myself fresh and whole foods and all that kind of tying those brands together and you know because i'm clean and i don't curse and all that kind of stuff in my music so there's like yo you know he's a safe guy he's a safe brand and so they are willing to you know look at partnering with me so if we do the whole foods thing again same thing you know right now we're in a, in a pandemic and we're covid but you know hey we can go into stores and we can you know do little stuff for their employees and stuff for their customers and keep it all kind of covid compliant they're putting all the the puzzle pieces together how to make all that happen but you know doing what they what they're going to call kind of pop in concerts where i come in and do a few songs close with feeling myself they give away samples do all these kind of things keep it all covid compliant and um finding ways to just again connect uh the audience and us and also um expand their brand
0: nice man yeah and you can't go too wrong with whole foods uh yeah that's pretty cool man uh going to whole foods and uh, see Kids and Station perform. That's pretty tight, man. I like that. So, Cola, is it a team of three—you, uh, your manager,
1: and your publicist? Yeah. Well, you know, I, it's a—it's really a, even a team that's beyond that because my uh, my manager, my management team is two people, um, and then um, my publicist works with a couple of other people that's under her, and then. I, you know, of course I'm doing what I'm doing. And then, um, my wife is also very, very active in uh, my promotion and, so, and social media. So I've got a few people, um, and I've got a, uh, an intern that we just brought into that's bit. So I've got a pretty cool little team of people that are, you know, kind of, uh, helping to make some of these things happen and it's growing.
0: That's great, man. Making it happen. Um, Cola, I'm going to let you get out of here soon, man. Oh, speaking of Cola, I've been calling you Cola all podcast long. Um, Born Stephen Spence, changed your name to Kola Malik. Uh, explain the name change to me.
1: Um, like I said, I was raised without a father. I was carrying his last name. I started growing up into myself as a man and going, man, who am I and who do I belong to? And then I decided, you know what? I'm going to start fresh all over and change my name to something else. Picked up an African name book. The name Kola meant to stay in peace. I was like, yeah, I could use some peace in my life. I love that. Uh, Malik means kind of regal or royal. I like that because I felt like I was a young king. So that was why I picked the name Cola Malik. And um, that was why I changed my name in the first place.
0: Cool, man. Dig it. I like it. All right, Cola, let's get to today. Let's get to 2020. You have new music out. No pun intended. I am feeling your new track, which happens to be called Feeling Myself. Um, There's a video for it. As a matter of fact, when I close out this podcast, uh, I'm going to play it so all the listeners around the world can hear it. Uh, Kola, tell me about your new song, feeling myself.
1: So feeling myself, you know, a lot of people, when they kind of hear the song at first, they're, they're just listening to it and they're like, Oh man, what a fun song What a catchy song, blah, blah, blah. Can't tell me nothing. They, they, so they get into all that, but they don't realize that, man, that song has a little bit deeper meaning than just me saying, I'm feeling myself and I'm kind of kicking it and you can't tell me nothing. That song, man, is really a song about self-love. And people don't even like some people catch the message and then some people don't. But if you watch the music video now you, after we get on talking, watch it again from the lens from where I'm telling you at, and see it in a, in a different lens. Um, the song is about self-love. If you look in the video, there's no models, there's no pretty folks and and everybody all dressed up and whatever the case is, man, we're all going through COVID. Everybody's in there's kids in pajamas and people in sweats and every, you know, and everybody's just around their house and everybody's just being real and authentic. man. there's no kind of whatever. But it's about self-love. It's like, hey, man, feel yourself. And don't let a hater tell you anything because the world is going to try to tear you down in so many ways, especially when you're accomplishing something or doing something good for yourself. There's so many people and haters that will try to tear you down. So I'm like, yo, you just got to feel yourself, man, because you, you God only made one of you, right? I mean, there has never been another Cliff Helner that looks exactly like you. And it has your same characteristics, right? I mean, there's no, there hasn't been another. So the mold was broken when you were made, man. So it's like, shoot, you gotta feel yourself, man, because there's only one of you, man. And I don't care if you got freckles or one leg is shorter than the other. You got a big nose or big head. Feel yourself, man. You just gotta feel yourself and say, man, I'm, I'm feeling me, and I can't nobody tell me nothing.
0: That is great. <laughs> totally dig it. Awesome, man. Love the, uh, love the positive message behind that song uh cola one thing uh that i wanted to commend you on man and uh i do appreciate it in you and that is not that your music even back in the day had a lot of profanity in it uh but you have since taken out uh all your curse words and all the profanity in your music man props to you for that uh i really admire that about you uh what was the reasoning behind that for you
1: you know um Honestly, man, I just thank God for it. I mean, you know, just really understanding that it, it it isn't necessary. It doesn't add value to what I'm doing and it doesn't add value to the people that are listening to it. And I just got into a phase in my life, man, where it became about adding value to people, man. It's like, you know. um I don't know, man. It, 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 it for me, if something doesn't make sense and I can't validate it, man, with really concrete explanation. I've had somebody ask me before. I've even had fans ask me before, like, you know, that maybe we Christians or, you know, maybe just didn't curse. And they were like, so, uh, hey, you know, I just had a question. Why do you cuss in your music? And then I'm like, man, I can't really give them an answer. And I ramble off something or I try to give them some quick explanation. Oh, you know, you know, I'm just trying to say what I feel. To do. But it's like, you know, something. I didn't really have a valid reason. And it's like, you know, especially with me being a father and, you know, you, you, you all of a sudden, man, you shift you shift gears and you say, if I ain't adding value to people, man, or if, if what I'm saying, if my words ain't adding value, then I ain't using them. So that's that ended up, man, ending all that.
0: Yeah, good for you, man. And to expound on that a little bit more, Cola, uh, one thing that bothers me so much, man, is when I go to a concert and the artist or the group is on stage And, uh, and here it comes, man. I mean, here come the F bombs. How's everybody effing doing and get your mother effing hands in the air. And I mean, to your point, man, which is exactly right. It's just so unnecessary. I mean, there's no need for it at all. It's providing no value to the show whatsoever. And on top of that, as you're looking around the crowd, there's kids in the audience. So, I mean, you got grown adults on stage dropping F bombs with kids in the audience and again, man, just to your point, it's so unnecessary. Facts.
1: And, you know, right? I mean, and, and it's so funny. Like, um, it's it's kind of like the same philosophy, man. <laughs> when, I, when I think about it, it's like when you mention kids, it's like we hit kids because they hit, right? Like we go, oh, you know what? You hit your brother. Now I'm going to spank you. Or, you know, we don't want you to curse. So I'm going to curse at you until you stop all that MF and cussing, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like... You know what? What are we doing, man? If if we want our kids, do we want our kids to carry themselves that way? Do we want them to carry themselves in a in in a a particular way? And if so, are we setting the example for that? And it's almost like you know, um, no, we're not. And so, bottom line is, man, like I said, I don't think it adds value to anything that I do. And I think, and I agree with you, man. Like when you uh, you know somebody comes up on stage and they're like, "Get your mother hands in the air," and and listen, I've done it before, right? But but it, but who is it really adding any value to, man? And what is it really doing? And so, you know, once I realized it, you know, and and I, and I have a lot of people to thank, for just, you know, like I said, a random fan even one time came with me and just asked me that question. And because I didn't have a really great answer for it, it made me realize, man, that I needed to do some self-exploration.
0: Word. Uh, Cola, did you ever shy away from Kid Sensation?
1: No, not really, man. I, I never, like when people would say, well, can we introduce you as... Cola also known as kid sensation. Absolutely. Of course. Cause kid sensation is who I am. Right. I mean, it's just another part of me. So no, I didn't shy away.
0: Is it somewhat safe to say that, um, that you're back, not that you ever went away.
1: Absolutely. 100%. But,
0: you know, your last release was 2009. Here we are, uh, 2020. Uh, you currently have a new song out. You have a new album coming out. You're pretty active on social media. You're forming partnerships. Uh, you got a website, Uh, what do you attribute, uh, the resurgence to,
1: um, you know, to be honest with you, um, there's just kind of been a clamoring for it, man. People have, you know, the reason, the reason behind this new record presently past the future, the reason it's titled what it is, is because there's a group of us, man, that are kind of, and I think most of them are from our demographic, man, where it's like, they hear a lot of the new hip hop. Right. And, you know, it's like, you know, somebody repeats five words for five minutes and says the same thing over and over, and that's a song, you know, or they just kind of da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, it's just this really, you know, kind of simple, you know, sounds like it was produced on a on a Cassie or whatever. And that's no disrespect to today's artists. There's a lot of dope stuff out there. But, you know, um, there's a lot of people who are clamoring for, like, man, whatever happened to the beats and rhymes and storytelling of hip-hop? Whatever happened to, you know, people just coming with straight bars and, you know, really dropping songs with hooks and that stuff that I could just, like, really sink my teeth into – and uh i was like man you know this might be a great time man to to uh service that listener with some really really dope content that brings them you know to 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 that brings them back to that thing that says man hip hop is not dead of that form and fashion man we're still there's still people out here that make dope music that you know that appreciate the real original art form so yeah man that 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 was a big reason behind me jumping back in the booth and doing this record and and revitalizing that kid sensation brand it was recognizable from a lot of that quote unquote golden era of hip-hop and um you know man it's, it's been a fun process
0: cool man that's awesome cola i promise i'm gonna let you go man um i could talk to you forever uh tell me when the new album comes out
1: the album comes out september 18th and i'm doing a pre-sale right now on the website colamusic.com um And you can look on the pre-sale page and you're able to order your albums there. You can order digital. You can even also order the Ultimate Fan Package, which has all seven Kid Sensation CDs. And you would probably know this clip because you know about some of my older tracks and my older music. Rollin' with Number 1, Power of Rhyme. Those are out of print. They're very, very hard to find. And if you go on Amazon to buy a copy of Rollin' with Number 1, you might pay as much as 40, 50 bucks for it, whatever the case is. Man, now I'm, I'm making a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of that stuff available, man. And I've got, I've got my hands on a few batches of, uh, of those from the old nasty mix days. Some people had some stuff kind of in a, in a basement somewhere, you know, uh, that used to work for nasty mix. And I've got my hands on a, on a, on a few, uh, copies of those uh, CDs or whatnot. And so, um, and then I'm going to start to repress and reprint those later, but they won't be the original ones. The original ones right now are going to be the ones that are going to be going with those CD packages, man. So I'm pretty excited that, uh, I'm going to be able to get a lot of that, uh, nostalgic music out to a lot of the people who, um, who really loved it, man. And so, you know, an actual physical CD. So people have a chance to order, like all of my CDs, T-shirts, get um a, get a USB thumb drive that is going to have all sorts of, you know, videos and interviews and pictures and all kind of other stuff that are very, very rare. So, you know, man, um that, that presale is, is, is a fun little thing, man. So, you, you know, people can go on my website at, on the colamusic.com and check that out. And uh, or they can just order a brand new copy of, of the uh, of the upcoming CD for, you know. Like just and just buy that one CD or buy several CDs. It's up to you know what they want.
0: That's so cool, man. Rarities are on the way. Uh Cola, autograph eight by tens, coffee mugs, t shirts. Uh, do you have all that type of stuff available?
1: yeah all that's gonna part of that stuff is in the pre-sale too. There's gonna be t-shirts and there's gonna uh, i haven't yet uh gotten the coffee mugs and all that stuff yet, but we're working on putting some more other pieces together to add to some of these things. but as far as uh some of the merch yeah the uh the, the t-shirts are gonna be out and then we're also gonna be rebranding a bunch of the old kids sensation t-shirts like the back to boom one with the woofer on it. I mean we're gonna bring a lot of that cool stuff back, so I'm really excited about that as well.
0: Nice, man. I'm going to need that uh, old school back to boom t-shirt for sure. Uh, Cola, I know uh, you've already given out your website address, man, but let's go ahead and do it again. Give me all your plugs. Give me your website address, your social media platforms. Oh, also, by the way, I will hook up your social media platforms and your website addresses and all that stuff on my webpage as well, which is beingfamouspodcast.com. Uh, but go ahead, give it all to me, man, and uh, plug
1: away. Cool, cool. So Colamusic, X-O-L-A music.com would be my website. And Music X-O-L-A music is also all of my social media handles. But I also have Kid Sensation as all of my social media handles as well and um that's on facebook um that's on instagram that's on twitter and the one thing i will say cuz you know people might wonder man why kids sensation and cola it's just two different sides of me, man. I'm not, I'm not schizophrenic or anything, man. It's just two different sides of who I am, and you know, the kid sensation, man. I, I, I love the brand. I love that part of me, man. It's a, it's a funner side of me. It's a, you know, whatever. But then, cola, you know, the music that I create there, man, that's more like deep from within the soul, man. I'm always trying to pass through a message, or I'm always trying to say something real deep or profound with the cola music. And so, more or less, man, I do want to plug the uh, presently past the future album the um that's going to be available on colamusic.com, and it's available on all the streaming platforms um Apple Music and Spotify so man please support it you guys cuz um I'm trying to make music man and and you know I'm I'm not putting out any you know profanity or negative content I'm really just trying to make music that's going to uplift people man and uh be something that you guys can be proud to support Um, so the presently past future album, the feeling myself video, man. And, um, yeah, you know, I'm going to continue to record music as kids Cessation as well as under my real name, Cola. It's all there on my website. Um, a new book that'll be coming out once COVID is kind of settled down. It was supposed to be coming out before, but it looked like it's going to have to come out after because of everything getting crazy. Um, I'm writing a book called King's young men discovering purpose and shaping their destiny so i'm speaking to the young men out here and trying to help them to become great and realize their potential it'll have a soundtrack i'm a rapper so of course your book's going to have a soundtrack and uh yeah man uh that's it man just continuing to 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 create you know hopefully man great content and great um projects and add value to our little our little crazy world
0: all good stuff all positive stuff I dig it. Cola, very, very, very last question, man. I promise then you are out of here. Dude, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast. You're pushing 50, yet you look like you're about 30 years old, man. What's your
1: secret? (laughs) Man, so I I just was kind of talking about that with um, with Sir Mix-A-Lot, man, you know, because – you know, he still looks pretty young himself, man. And I mean, it's a thing of, you know, you'll, you'll see him in the fill of Myself video, but like, man, you know, we didn't drink, we didn't do drugs, you know, um, take good care of our bodies, man, drink a lot of water and, you know, um, and my kids keep me young. My wife keeps me young, just living and being and, and having joy in my heart, man. I'm not, you know, too uh, stressed out about, about life and about things, man. And, you know, I take a lot in stride. I'm able to laugh at myself, man. And, um, and, you know, and gosh, man, God has just blessed me, I guess, man, also too, with good genes. Cause my mother uh looks, she's, you know, she's 70, man. And she looked like she's, you know, my sister, man. So, so I just, you know, yeah, man, it's a kind of a combination of all those things. It's kind of the perfect storm, but yeah, I, I, I get that all the time. But thank you, man. I appreciate it. I receive it, brother.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. Take it while you can. Uh, None of us are getting any younger, that's for sure. All right, Cola, you are done, man. Dude, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to come onto the podcast. We talked for over an hour and a half, so I certainly do appreciate your time. And as promised, we are going to close this podcast out with your latest track, your newest song, Feeling Myself. Uh, Before we get out of here, man...
1: Any final words, Cliff? Man, thanks again for having me on the Being Famous podcast. Woo! Took me on a journey, my brother. I appreciate you, man. Take care. God bless. Have me back again, man. This was fun.
0: Definitely, man. We will do it again in the future. Have a great rest of your day, man, and best of luck the rest of the way.
1: Peace.
2: It's a real good day, MJ. Bad in a good way. Woke up feeling like a million. Jumped up, almost hit the ceiling. Winning, winning, on the right track. so exciting it's good to be alive i'm up i'm up i'm up like a g5 like from the bag to the a whoa what a hater gonna say bro i'm just on 1k save with the flavor frito-lay ride tracks like a train hail from the city with the rain. fall steel ball i feel good even a little bougie, but still it feel good it feels good it feel good it feel good i'm feeling myself can't tell me nothing, tell me why tell me why blah 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 did you say something you say something you say something I'm feeling myself can't tell me nothing tell me why tell me that with my ex she a psycho she all about injections and lipo found a real good wife yo saved racks when i switched up to geico yeah nothing about me basic pull up on your block in the spaceship Yeah, stick around good people it's a good day looking for the sequel do it for the love not the cash flow even if i'm getting that cash flow but if i'm in the drought and the cash flow still won't do it for the cash bro keep it simple pop like pimple Handsome, little drip plus dimples, every day a little brighter, feeling myself like I'm looking for a lighter, I feel good, it feel good, it feel good, it feel good, I'm feeling myself can't tell me nothing, tell me nothing, tell me nothing, blah blah blah, did you say something, you say something, you say something, I'm feeling myself can't tell me nothing, tell me nothing. Swagger than Old Spice Got more drip than warm ice Stepping like a big boss us to the side catch a big loss I'ma hold this bag, no cap, it swell I'ma let you hold this capital L Triggered, remember I'm the one who said I spread love like Skippy on Wonder Bread Side chatter don't matter Couldn't bring me down with a stepladder Or an elevator, or a staircase Keep the bad energy out of my airspace Up, looking down on cloud nine In my own lane, do your own thing like a champ with a belt, cuz it feel real good, and I'm feeling myself. It feel good, it feel good, it feel, good it feel good. I'm feeling myself, can't tell me nothing. Tell me nothing, tell me nothing. Blah, blah, blah. Did you say something? You say something, you say something. I'm feeling myself, can't tell me nothing. Tell me nothing, tell me nothing.